Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Legends. Double water. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the early week college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as they always will early in the week, are Mike Calbreeze, Greg Waddell. We have a lot to get to today, gentlemen. We Last week we were on Tuesday. Not the greatest slate again Monday. We will touch, if you have a game or two that you want to touch on tonight, more than welcome to do so. But we'll also hit some games on Tuesday. A little better card overall. We'll recap the weekend, get some rants in. And we'll also talk a little buy-sell in the SEC. But let me, I guess let's start with just something you took away, one or two things from the weekend. Greg, hope uh, you enjoyed the weekend. And uh, what do you got? Yeah, I uh, first off, I did enjoy the weekend. I appreciate you asking that. I was in Detroit for my Lions victory last night, and uh, I'm honestly afraid for my opposition these days. Uh, I, it's just turning up me for the first time in a very long time in the last seven days, which I'm hoping translates to the college basketball bets this week. Uh, one thing I learned this weekend, I don't trust Arizona. They're like every analytics site's top two favorite team in the country still right now. Uh, I have some serious concerns about how this team performs on the road. And I think this is becoming a thing in the Tommy Lloyd era. Going back to last year, last season, great basketball team. They were three and four on the road outright against top 100 opponents. This year, that Duke win was carrying a lot of weight early, but now they're one and two outright against top 100 ops. They're just four and four outright in their last eight games. And if you watch this team, they don't really have much of a backup plan if they can't just hang 100 on you. It's very difficult to do that in conference play in true road situations. Uh, I thought Washington State did not even really play particularly well, and they just controlled that game by dictating tempo. Arizona was extremely frustrated. Kylan Boswell, zero points, zero rebounds, Damn. zero assists from a star point guard. That can't happen. So uh, while Ken Palm and everybody tells me this is the second best team in the country, I'm fading Arizona on the road for the foreseeable future anytime we can catch a good number of points. Yeah, my so my question, I sort of 
agree with you. I mean, look, they're going to be power rated a top five team. Um, but I have similar questions. But my and then my main concern is as we get closer to March, how much are we really going to learn? Because the Pac-12 is so down. I mean, I remember I was tweeting about this over the weekend. 2016, 17, 18, eight, you would get eight Pac-12 teams in the tournament, five or six top five seeds. And now we're, I mean, fast forward five seasons, we're we're talking three is what your last year, three probably this year, if Colorado doesn't pick it up. So how much are we going to learn? I mean, UCLA is, uh, so I don't know how much we're actually going to know. And we're going to have to make some, like you, you're going to say, look, I'm still selling Arizona, not a buyer, because I don't think we're going to have a ton of great data points because of what the Pac-12 looks like. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. You're right. I think uh, it's one of those teams I think you're going to have to pick your spots with because when they win, they're going to win big. They're very good at home. Like it's not going to be a surprise to see them beat any team in this conference, like a hundred to fifty-seven. Yeah. When they're they're going to have some crazy but, blocks that that keep their analytical profile so high all year. Right, right, yeah. I just it, to me, it feels like there's enough data going back, including last season. Which I get it; it's a totally different team. A couple of these guys were on the team, though. Balo and Larson, uh, especially key pieces. But I just think the way they play opens them up to some dangerous, dangerous spots on the road, and that's something I'm circling. Yeah. And staying out West, we talked about this before. I'll just mention, I mean, Santa Clara finally beating Gonzaga. Gonzaga is not, it's, they are not scary. Uh, so some of the West coast teams that we're used to seeing are way down this year. Uh, Calvary's hope. How was your weekend? It was good. I really enjoyed, you know, some college basketball games, the the NFL games. I, I have to bristle a little bit because NFL fans love to poke shots at you know college football where it's like this bowl game is awful everybody opted out there was some awful football being thrown around in some of the blowouts um but it just in general i think that this is the time of year really where people start to open up a little bit of extra time for college basketball so we're you know one by one we're bringing people in as we move you know closer to to february and for that reason, I think it's okay that we're at this confusion point in the season because everything that you're saying, I think, also extends beyond that to really the rest of the top 10. It's like there's so many teams that you can't say are reliably great at this point. Really, there's UConn and Purdue, particularly if, when UConn gets clinging Healthy. back. Yeah. And then everybody else, more or less. Like North Carolina, I think you can make a compelling argument, should be the third best team in the country. I don't feel great saying that. I think there, there's lots of debates that you can have back and forth, but I'll save that a little bit for the rant. The one part that I want to get into in terms of just overall confusion for me is the Big 12. I think we can all agree that the Big 12 has the potential to be the best conference top to bottom, but you have Texas losing on the road to West Virginia. They turn the ball over 22 times. They finally get that breakout game from Aismas. And they hold battle to below 15 points and they lose. That's really troubling. Houston now losing back-to-back games. I know it was close against TCU, but I think that starts to bring into, you know, a question in terms of their potential and the reliability on the offensive end. And the last piece of it of it is because everyone else is losing in the Big 12, now we have to just artificially inflate Kansas. I'm still not ready to do it. I know the Oklahoma win was impressive. They, you know, in terms of game control, they were always in control of that game, but it's still the same narrative on them. Going into the game, McCullough and Dickinson accounted for 49% of the Jayhawks scoring and 46% of their shots from the field. And then they score 45 of 78 points on Saturday. So I still think this is the exact same team in terms of my perception of them that I came in despite them getting a quality win. No, I, yeah, I agree. I 
late last week I tweeted, if you have to take three teams for your life to win the national title, who are you taking? And, you know, a lot of uh, – you could you could throw Kentucky, some teams for the upside if you want to have, like, an upside team. And then I think Purdue, UConn, you would take a lot of Kansas, which I was floored by. So I think yeah. that they're overvalued just by their – just, you know, their the perception of who Kansas usually is and Bill Self. But the, where's the secondary scoring? There's no depth. I mean, if there's one injury, they are, they are wiped. So I think Kansas has played like a – you know, they've had a lot of close wins that have just really – Got, they, they could have a couple more losses and people will be like, oh, wait, let me look deeper into this Kansas team. Uh, but, yeah, I see this Kansas team. It's like a top 15, 20 team, but they're not a team I would even remotely consider for one of the three teams that I think can win the title. Greg, do, would you agree with that? Yeah, they got four players. And yeah. that's if those four players show up that night, right? Like any given night, they have two players. And I, look, don't get me wrong. The top And how gas they going to be by March? Like, what, what, like is there, are they going to be fatigued too? Right. It's like the ask of Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCullough is just so large on this team. And I've been really disappointed in Dewan Harris because he's a guy preseason I thought could take a huge step forward as a scorer. Clearly, that's not the case. He's just not wired that way. And this team desperately needs it from him. Like, no disrespect to the guys that step in in that fifth spot, but Johnny Furphy and Elmarco Jackson are not guys that I think would even crack the rotation on a team like Kentucky, when you, which you mentioned for upside, right? And look, it's a different situation. Um, and, and honestly, Dickinson and McCullough have been that good that they've sort of survived to this point despite these issues. But I think you guys are right. It's going to come crashing down at some point. Uh, and I think, you know, it, their schedule is still – they're on the road three of the next four, but two of those are against Oklahoma State, West Virginia. You would think they're going to be favorites by a sizable amount in those games. We might not see this crash until we get to February, late February, where uh, the fatigue yep. really does fit. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'll also say – Two of my main takeaways from the weekend involve the same game. Kentucky lost. And by the way, I'll get my rant out of the way. Remember, this is a safe space. You know what pisses me off most of all? Okay, you're ranting now, baby. Yeah, I'm ranting. Why not? You gotta let it out somehow. That call at the end of the game. I had Texas A&M. Luckily, it won in overtime. You can't make that. You cannot blow that whistle. It, maybe if it's in rough, like, you, you cannot make that call. Anyway, uh, I thought like, that's a absolute must win it's not a must win but just the spot of all spots for texas a&m at home and you know that's that's what wade wade taylor could do that he could get the texas a&m drag them to the final four uh with performances like that but that's a great spot for texas a&m young kentucky team still i thought they handled themselves really well i mean that that game was if they had elite eight sweet 16 vibes so this young kentucky team going on the road and like getting this experience and they they're i'm, I'm more impressed with them each and every week. And they're like, talk about upside. They're just going to keep getting better. Uh, and, you know, if they're peaking towards March, they're in that three to four teams. I think that you would take if you wanted to, you know, with your life depended on it, who could win the national title. Hey, uh, Stuck, just, just to hop in, where would you yeah. say this ranks in terms of coach Cal's coaching performances purely, you know, on the floor, putting aside the recruiting, because it seems to me not only is he getting the most out of them, and I agree that I think their best basketball may be ahead of them, but also he's doing a great job in terms of the rotations and figuring out who needs to be on the court when. Like, where do you rank this in terms of his performances in Lexington? Uh, it's it's way up there. I mean, it's early. It's still, we're talking, you know, it's uh, January, so we'll see. Uh, but they're, they, they can shoot, too. Like, and they're actually shooting threes. I mean, the last couple of years, it just was a non-existent part of the team. Uh, this has the potential to be by far his best job, uh, given what he came into the season with. 
Uh, so yeah, I, this team has national title. Uh, I, I, I would consider them if I had to take three teams right now, who I would probably put them in it just because of the upside. Like if my life depended on it or I get a hundred million dollars, if I pick the right team, I might go like Purdue, uh, you know, UConn and then take, okay, who has the upside? And it might be probably Kentucky right now from what I've seen. Would you agree, Greg? hundred percent. Yeah. I think upside Kentucky's at the very, very top of my list. Like yeah. I don't even think they're in the top three. I think it's just clearly them. They, those freshmen, especially Shepard and Dillingham, like those guys are serial killers, man. Yep. Like they're just, they're wired like pure maniacs. And I, to have those guys coming off the bench is just nonsensical. I, I can't remember really any team, especially even through Cal's one and done era where there's been two guys like that. Normally these guys would be like face of the team type guys. And um, it, it, they have so many different ways that can beat you. And I think it is really notable. The, the things that are best at are things that don't look like Kentucky teams the last few years. And Oscar yep. Sheeway was a big part of that. And it's a totally different style. The, the one thing I would note that, just has me a little scared, I guess, is after the game, if you listen to Cal, they really got back in the game in the final three minutes by just letting Rob Dillingham rock, right? Get out of the way, and this kid's going to hero ball us to overtime. And it was incredible to watch. After the game, Cal was very pointed that he regrets how that went down. He said he thought that hurt them in overtime. And look, I don't think there's ever going to be a way to put a leash on a guy like Rob Dillingham, but I am curious when we get to March, is Cal going to try and sort of fit these guys into boxes in ways that he hasn't up until this point in the season? Just something to think about. But yeah, on paper, this team is so loaded. The upside's there and everybody's going to pick them to their final four at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully just for <clears throat> me, Lexington, my wife's sake, they can at least get by St. Peter's in the first round this year. Uh, but yeah, there, there's still some defensive issues that, that they'll have to clean up, I think, but they're only going to get better. And that Texas A&M team, like I talked about, great spot. Those are all upperclassmen, do, like men, and Kentucky wouldn't go away. Like, they couldn't put a kill shot in them. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was a really impressive game for both teams. But let's – I guess it's a good transition into the SEC. Last week we did the Big Ten – Let's talk a little, who are you buying? Who are you selling? It could be from a value perspective. Maybe you're looking to bet them as a conference future, national title future, or just something in general. Um, we just talked about Kentucky, but Greg, where do you want to go? You can go buy, sell uh, one or both. What do you got for the SEC? Yeah, I'll hit both of mine real quick. I'm going to stay in that Kentucky-Texas A&M game. I'm going to buy Texas A&M, and I'm buying after a win. So I I was scooping them up before this game for the record, but I'll keep buying where they're at. Uh, Look, this is a team that this same core of guys won 15 games in this conference last year, 15 and three. And non-conference was about as disastrous as it could have gone for this team. They had serious injury issues. They were without Radford and Coleman both for for weeks at a time. Now they're finally healthy. And in the week before this Kentucky game, guys, Wade Taylor was just horrendous. He was two for 16 against Auburn. Uh, The game before that, he was three for 12 from three against LSU. And they are at their best when he is making shots clearly like he did in the Kentucky game. But even in the Kentucky game, guys, he was one for 11 from inside the arc. I don't think Wade Taylor's playing his best ball. I'm very confident that that is going to turn around at some point. He is one of the most talented guards in the country. 
And I just love how tough this team is. They get after you on the boards, best offensive rebounding team in the country. Uh, and that's me like, that's how they won this game against Kentucky. Despite the heroics was just, just relentless 25 offensive rebounds against a guy who's going to be a pro in Aaron Bradshaw. And then on Jens. So too, when Bradshaw was just four fouls and six minutes in this game. So um, I think they're going to overwhelm a lot of the teams in the middle of the pack in the SEC, and that started with this win over Kentucky. And then on the sell side for me, uh, I, I am going to sell high. Finally, I'm doing it the right way here. Alabama <laughs> is who I'm going to sell. I, uh, I'm i very afraid of the personnel on this Alabama team. And Mark Sears has been phenomenal, maybe an All-American with the way he's played this year. It's crazy. But they're two big transfer ads, Aaron Estrada and Grant Nelson, are very, very streaky at best. Nelson, I don't even know if we can call him streaky at this point. He might just not be good enough for the SEC. He's gone nine points, zero points, nine points in his last three games to start off conference play. Uh, he was really, really shaky at times in some of their biggest non-conference games as well. If you remember that Arizona game, he was three for 15 from three. I, I think teams will live with him stepping out in the Nate Oates offense and just trying to bomb you. He's not a shooter like that. And Estrada, uh, he's had crazy scoring games, but to me, just the, the collective talent level is not as high as it has been with previous NATO offenses. So I think they've had a little bit of a, a schedule boost to this point. If you go through what they've done in SEC play, yeah, the win at Mississippi State was impressive, but they opened with Vanderbilt on the road and South Carolina at home. They've got Tennessee and Auburn in the next week and a half. I think there's going to be some wake-up calls for a team that was 0-5 in the non-conference against top 50 opponents on Kempom. It's dicey. Indiana State's worked their way up into there now to give them one good win on the resume. But uh, I think when they play the best teams in this conference, they're going to lose a lot of these games. Speaking of selling Alabama, we might get a little bit of an inflated number against Missouri, a team that, I mean, they lost, Missouri lost again in overtime, but they've had a super tough schedule if you look at it they probably should have won that South Carolina game a little bit of a meltdown late um so and this Alabama team I don't I have no issues fading if you're going to get like uh overinflated double digit spread at home against Missouri a spot I had circled so I would agree with you there Te go and going back to Texas A&M on, on a couple things this is a team that's not so they're not they're not three-point reliant right so it's not a team that they have an off shooting night in the tournament they're going to get upset because they couldn't hit a three and you know it doesn't matter what their what their percentage is because they're going to get 45% of their misses, but they're also shooting 27%. If you look at synergy, they're in the first percentile in wide open jumpers. And let, you look at last year. It's a team that's not a good shooting team. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, but it's a team that would should, should finish around 31, 32% from three, which isn't great, but they're at 27th and they're not that bad. And you, you mentioned it, Taylor, generally one of the best finishers in the country, too. I do think, and Buzz said this, he said the single most impactful rule change in my coaching career was the uh, block charge rule. And they are like a helter-skelter defense. They're like hurt by this. Uh, there's something there that they're still adjusting to. But you're right, injuries early in the season, one of those teams that looks like, like that's a win that can like, all right, you know, if they lost that game, then – you know, but I think them getting that win, getting healthier, uh, I agree. I think it's a team that I'm going to continue to look to buy on. Now, I will say, not all spots are created equal. You want to know what's a great spot? Texas A&M gets that win. Arkansas loses. I, no, 
you cannot, I need to see a pulse from Arkansas before I even look. Yeah, I don't, I don't want any part of them. They look uh, a dead zombie status. Uh, I want no part of Arkansas. They could, you know, wake up and beat Texas A&M, but they're not getting my money. Mike, thoughts on the SEC? I'm going to go ahead and sell on Georgia. Um, you know, Mike White has been playing really solid defense. They're top 50 in Ken Palm and Torvik. But when you look at the schedule, 0-1 against quad one, 3-3 and against quad two, and 9-0 and against everybody else. And I think some people would look at that six-point loss to Tennessee, a game that they covered, as a great sign. But in, in my eyes, that's as good as it's going to get for them offensively. They knocked down 14 triples. They turned it over less than 10 times, but they couldn't get a single stop on Dalton Connect when he had the ball down the stretch. And I think... For that reason, when you look at their record, 12-4 and four overall, 2-1 and one in SEC play, I think you still may get some good numbers with these matchups coming up. They travel to Columbia to play South Carolina, Kentucky and Florida, you know, with the uh, home game with LSU in the mix. I think they're going to be exposed given that slate. And I'll push back a little bit on Alabama. This is actually a, a team here for the buy-sell segment. I thought you were going to say Arkansas, and I was not going to let you push back. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think Arkansas needs to be put in time out there on gambling probation for the foreseeable future. But Bama, what's interesting to me, you look at, and you mentioned it in terms of the, the earlier schedule, losing those games to the top 50 teams. They lose four out of five. Those were to Clemson, Purdue, Creighton, Arizona. They're competitive in most of those games. But since then... The thing that I focus in on the most and where I really view their overall ceiling is their defense. Their defense is playing better. I understand that the schedule got a, a lot more manageable, but they're top 60 in Ken Palm and Torvik. And they did it against Tulu Smith in the Mississippi State game. Even with Pringle, I think he played six minutes. He fouled out in six minutes of action, which was ridiculous. And that put a lot of pressure on Nelson. They still coax a 5-for-15 game out of them, and that's really why Mississippi State was drawing dead in that game. They need Smith to be a dominant player on the offensive end. I agree with the assessment on Estrada. I watched him play a lot at Hofstra. He could be a streaky player. I think he can help them you know, play ab above themselves in some games, but he definitely needs to bring them more on the offensive end. Sears being this you know, stabilizing factor, I get it. But overall, I think right now on Bama, because the defense has figured something out where early in the year it looks like they were going to be outside the top 100 defensively, to do some things. I don't know if it's full scheme. I don't know if it's you know personnel, whatever it is. They're at least competitive to the point where I'm interested to see what the number is on Saturday at Rocky Top against Tennessee because this Mizzou game I think is really going to swing it if they cover a huge number I think this number is probably going to be closer against the volunteers and it may be a pass but if they don't cover against Mizzou and I can get I don't know you stuck you tell me what do you think the the spread should be on Alabama Tennessee and uh in Knoxville what, what is that game Saturday that's Saturday yeah uh, I make it Tennessee minus three and a half yeah, so I, I had my you know number in my head. Five is my I threshold. Bet, I bet you it probably goes. I bet it's it probably opens four and a half, four. Yeah. So if I can get in bit. there in that range, kind of on the cusp of you know certainly above one possession, I'm interested in Alabama. I think that's that's going to be the game for me for the rest of the year. That's going to tell me what I need to know about this team. Is it smoke and mirrors with their improved defensive play, or is it for real? And you know, to Waddell's point, is there anything going on? with their front court that they can get any consistent scoring because if they can't, I, I just don't see Sears being able to play hero ball and to carry them despite how well he's playing. Um, so that's why I'm buying on Bama a, a bit of a disagree here. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, I'd be like 4.2 for what it's worth. Now go Greg, going back to Arkansas, just, is there, I don't like, is there any hope? So some, there's going to be some Arkansas spots, right? So it's going to be like, 
muscle in. They're going to be at home. It's still, is there any case like I, Mitchell shouldn't be starting? The, I feel like I'm, he shouldn't be starting this year. Davis, I mean, I don't know what's going on there. A, a guy who, I mean, you were one of the best moments just from a sports, like they beat Kansas. Musselman comes over there crying. He's crying, talking about all the work he put in. And I mean, he went for, I think he dropped like 24 in the second half. And then, you know, Musselman saying how much of a leader he is. He's late to things, not starting because of it. And the whole operation, like, is there any case that you can see where, all right, look, it's the, this is the low point. We we have to buy, start buying Arkansas or is there just, nope, put them on the burner until you see something. So the, the case would be Eric Musselman. And I would listen to anybody making that case because uh, go through what Muss has done in his career. He's essentially always had good teams. I mean, he's had teams finish below 500 in conference play at Arkansas. They were 7-11 his first year. They were 8-10 last year. But overall, like he's won 20 games or more all eight years of his career as a head coach. So this would be shocking if they just like completely spiral and finish below 500 on the season. With that said, if you've watched this team at all in the last three games, which I know both of you and I have, uh, it's it's a disaster, right? And I don't think uh, – it's the roster that's the problem, right? Yeah. He's the biggest transfer portal guy, and that's boom or bust. We've seen it work for teams. We've also seen it completely derail seasons. And it, it, sometimes you can survive one, maybe two problematic guys right now. Like Keon Menefield was added midseason, and then he immediately led the team in minutes and shot attempts for like three games. And then he comes out in the Florida game, plays three minutes. Like, I, what is he supposed to expect? And what does everybody else expect from that? L. Ellis, another guy who has been in and out of a 30 minute role, and then he plays three minutes into this game. Um, Devo Davis is a disaster. And like you said, he was the best player on the floor in the Kansas game. And all three of those guys have, uh, for lack of a better word, just emotional concerns like you can survive maybe one of them having ups and downs you can't survive three guys that play the same position that are all frustrated with each other needing to compete for a spot so uh, I, I think this is just a disastrous roster build I don't think this is changing um, and it's kind of shocking to see because I expect higher and just a, a higher floor at least from an Eric Musselman program yeah it looks like it's not even the losses it's how they're losing and how they look and it's just, you know, 30 to 40 point blowouts back to back. It's like, where is the pulse? Like, I, I don't see it. And yeah, the roster, the offense, it's just not there from a consistency perspective. And now quick word from our sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Are you too sad from betting wildcard weekend underdogs to leave your house? No problem. With HelloFresh, you skip trips to the grocery store. And unlike betting unders, they make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why they're America's number one meal kit. This time of year, everyone's looking to revamp their eating habits. Look to HelloFresh's wholesome options every week, like their protein smart recipes each week. People say a lot of things, but we know two things are always true. First is you can't rely on the passing game in windy conditions. Second, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And HelloFresh agrees with both of these. In fact, they're giving all subscribers Free breakfast for life. That means you'll enjoy a totally free breakfast item with every single HelloFresh delivery. So go to HelloFresh.com slash BBOC free and use code BBOC free. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash BBOC free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscribing. 
subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash BBOC free with code BBOC free. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Terms conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's move on to some more actionable stuff and talk either tonight, if you want to mention a game tonight, Anything tomorrow, even if you want to throw out something for Wednesday, feel free to do so. I will say that I I had this spot for New Mexico. It, Utah State survived again, survived by one. Not the same team on the road. They basically ended New Mexico's season last year. But I've been saying, you know, New Mexico is close, right? And they had the injury. All their guards haven't played together. Once they figure it out, and then you watch the early in the San Diego State game, it was like, all right, are they going to figure it out? And then boom, something clicked in that game. So I'm looking to still buy New Mexico while I can. And like we talked about in our kickoff ep- kickoff episode, I think New Mexico, they're a team that could be an FAU with their guards. Uh, and if they just keep getting better and stay healthy, they're a team that you just you just won't want to see uh, come March. So I'll be looking to see what we get a cheap price at home on New Mexico against Utah state. But that was what I've been waiting to see that. And I know it's only one game, but there was reason to believe like they haven't played together at all. Pretty much their entire backcourt got a couple games under their belt. And then it looked like everything clicked. So I think New Mexico could be super scary uh, moving forward. So that's a spot in a team in general that I have circled. Greg, anything you want to mention uh, on New Mexico and or for tonight or tomorrow? I love the New Mexico play. That was one of my two that I had circled. And uh, just to add a note on it, they're seven and one against the spread at home this year. Um, I, I just love the team. I absolutely love the team now that they are fully healthy. And that backcourt's one of the best backcourts in the country. Um, I, I'm very curious to see what that opens at. Do you, do you have a number on that stock of what you expect? Uh, I think that so. I'm with Torvik has it in New Mexico minus five. So, yeah, I'm praying like would loved it if it opens two and a half. Uh, I would get that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would like anything under five uh, would be amazing. If like how much is the market caught on? Maybe because Utah, I'm hoping that like, hey, Utah State, they escaped uh, by one. Can we get like a cheap three on the open? Um, would love that. But uh, anything under five and 
I mean, it's the pit, and that you just watch them at home too. They're just a different team at home. And Utah State's not the same team. On they're another team with an amazing home court advantage. Yeah, yeah, that's a set the alerts one for me for sure. Yeah. And try to jump on it if it's three right away. Um, the the other one I have circled for Tuesday, I've got my eye on Indiana to cover at home against Purdue, and this feels gross. It feels disgusting to say that out loud if you've watched Indiana this season. But I have a theory, guys, and uh, I I love this Purdue team. I'm probably going to pick them to go to the final four. I love betting them. I don't like fading them, but their season script has essentially followed word for word. Exactly what happened last year up to this point, Uh, a loss at Northwestern struggling in big 10 play on the road, undefeated non-conference where they look untouchable. Like they're playing all the hits thus far. Should be notable last year, Indiana swept Purdue 2-0. Now, Trace Jackson Davis was one of the best players in the country. They simply don't have that type of talent. They don't have shooting around him like they did with Jalen hood Shafino. It's a totally different roster with a lot more problems. They've still been really awesome at home this year. Indiana is 6-1 and one against the spread in their last seven games at home. Purdue's 1-4 against the spread in their last five games overall. I kind of think they're hitting a little bit of a roadblock here. It's going to be an emotional game, as always, at Assembly Hall. Depending on the number I can get, I'm interested in Indiana. Now, if it opens at, like, seven or something, I'm jumping off of that. But Ken Palm's got this as an 11-point Purdue favorite. Uh, If I could possibly get 10, I feel really, really great about that. I'll have to see where the number lands. Yeah, they and where the home court can – because obviously it's going to be electric – there, I mean, Assembly Hall for a big game always, but especially Indiana, Purdue, and this Purdue team. And Edie is so difficult to officiate. Mainly, he gets fouled way more than they actually call. And then they, you know, the refs want to even it out, especially on the road, right? So then you're like, games become a little more foul fest. But with all, with all the uncertainty and how you are calling fouls on Edie in Assembly Hall with the crowd, it's going to be like, F you if things are like Edie's not getting calls like Indiana, you could see Edie getting like, you know, a second cheap foul with, you know, 14 minutes to go in the first half. You might just see way more fouls on Purdue on the other end. So that's where the home court advantage can come in because there's just a lot of variance with how whatever crew that night, how they decide to call it based on Edie, who's getting fouled all the time. And then there's this, uh, it's, it's just human nature, right? You don't want to have, the, the other teams, you know, Edie gets fouled six times in the first eight minutes. Purdue's in the double bonus, but they only have one foul. And then the the coach is uh, the coach, the crowd's yelling, and human nature, refs will, you know, start giving you fouls the other way. A lot of errands. That's where the home crowd could come into it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's a spot I've circled. I'm super curious to see where that opens um, and how sharp it is. Because I agree, I would at seven, uh, I would. I would want a little more. Like, I'd love, love to look at double digits if we can get it. Uh, Mike, anything that you want to mention for tonight or tomorrow? So we're a clean sweep on New Mexico. I, I love a minus five. You guys mentioned just about all of it. The only thing I, I would add is JT Toppin and, and Nelly Jr. Joseph. They are the right mix to be able to bang with great Osibor in this game because he's been playing out of his mind. Yet, despite yep. a 24-14 and 14 game, they only beat UNLV by one. 
And in the two games that he's been held to single digits this year, they beat Santa Clara by two. They beat San Francisco by one. So they're certainly mortal when he's not playing out of his mind. And not many teams in the Mountain West have multiple bodies that they can throw at him with the kind of athleticism. Toppin's coming off a 17-16 game against San Diego State. So I think New Mexico is, is still ascending at this point. And I agree, you know, they have four superstars. Dent didn't even play all that well against San Diego State, and they ran him off the floor. So, you know, help anybody if all three of them get going at the same time. Mashburn in the, the mid-range and, you know, Dent being able to bury some shots from distance. I'm and actually going to say – Freshman, that's a guy that yeah. looks like he's still getting better. You know, so come March, you have your you have your experienced backcourt, you, you know, and they look like, all right, let's figure out how we – share the ball, who's going to take what distribution of shots. And then you have, I like some of their depth pieces that they added, but a guy like Toppin keeps getting better. Um, yeah, they have the formula for uh, definitely a Cinderella run, uh, if you want to call it that, but go ahead. I'm going to stay in the Mountain West. I'm going to lay a huge number with Colorado State. I think this is a get-right game for Nico Medved's team. You know, they, they've lost two in a row. But since he's come to Fort Collins, he's 8-2 against the spread when facing Air Force. And this particular Falcons team, they're challenged on the offensive end. They mask it by playing as slow as just about anybody in America. But unlike a lot of Ken Palm top 25 offenses, Colorado State's fine playing slow. They'll do it in the half court. They don't need that transition game to be running and, you know, up and down the floor. So I don't think that's a huge differentiator for the Falcons in this one. And Colorado State's biggest trouble is on the glass. Air Force can't rebound. They're 315th in offensive rebounding percentage. And, you know, in terms of their skill position, who they go to as their go-to score, Petritus is really their only option. And I like the matchup against Cartier. Cartier fouls out against Utah State and Osibor, and really that that was when the game swung. I think he's going to have a better performance here, so I don't mind laying a huge number. Colorado State has covered really big numbers under Medved against Air Force before, so I'd play it all the way up to 20. Uh, like the look. Greg, curious to get your thoughts before we get out of here on – in the, staying in the Mountain West, Colorado State, a couple losses in a row. You know, they haven't been fully healthy all season either. I do still think that they have defensive issues, especially in the post, which might trouble them. I know against Boise, what Meadows hit like some crazy threes in the second half. But is are we should we be worried about Colorado State or they'll be fine? It's Stevens, it's Medved, they'll get healthier. And then Boise State, like, should we be taking Boise State? more serious uh you know get the Colorado State win followed up with a road win at Nevada which then I was like okay well I'm gonna have to look into like I didn't I wasn't a believer in this Boise State team point guard play very questionable um but any thoughts on either Colorado State or Boise I'll start with Boise um I, I don't have too many polarizing thoughts on Colorado state, to be honest with you. Isaiah Stevens is awesome. I love the spot against air force. Just they've lost two straight. You expect them to be on their a game. The history's there, the profiles there, air force, not good at guarding the three point line as well. Uh, I like that spot for sure. I just, there's something missing when I watch Colorado state on the Boise state side, uh, they have a couple guys, especially Degenhart though, who just like any given night, it's like, he's the best player on the floor. And I think that really matters in a conference like this, where, you know, there's, there's a lot of good teams here. Like the depth of talent in the mountain West is really, really high this season. But if you have a superstar, like I, I think Ladie from San Diego state is the other guy that jumps out at me. Like he can just win you a game. Dagenhard to me is one of those dudes. I think he kind of did that against Nevada. Like uh, to me, Blackshear really got going early. 
Um, and, and Dagenhart just kind of put an end to it, responding and slowly, methodically backing his way down into the post, people playing off of him. He finished with 29 and four. Like uh, he's a superstar, but I like the way the guys around him play well as well. Uh, Max Rice to me is the guy that I don't think has played near his ceiling this year. If you look at his numbers compared to what they've been historically, at least last year, he was 41% from three. This year, only 31%. looks more like the year before when he was 27%. So at this point, I'm kind of like, is he a good shooter? Is he not? When he hits them, it unlocks a lot of things for this Boise State offense that sometimes can feel very one-dimensional, dependent on Dagenhart. Um, but but it's hard not to be impressed with what they've done thus far. I mean, they're sitting here three and zero with a road win over Nevada. Like it, it, all of a sudden, you're circling this team like maybe they could win this conference. Yeah. So I'll end on this. Cool. We just talked about the Pac-12, which you know could be a three-bid league again. Mountain West. Pull up the Mountain West standings if you want to look at them. If you had a, now, there's going to be some cannibalization, right? Which you have to remember. But if you got to say how many Mountain West teams end up making the dance, because you can make a case it could be you know if everything goes right, you can make a case now at six, right at the the ceiling. Um, assume I mean I guess seven if someone else would like steal it, but uh, you know like Air Force wins the conference tournament. But realistically, how many how many would you say right now if you had a guess? Are getting in, Mike. I'll throw it to you first. I'm gonna say five. I, I and I feel really confident in that. You know, with San Diego State, Utah State, New Mexico, Colorado State as the, I, I would say, argue the secure four there. And Boise, at this point, I, I agree with you know Greg's assessment. When you go down their wins, how they're playing lately, and the fact that they can rely on a superstar, this is still a de facto mid-major conference. If you have the best player on the floor, that usually is enough to swing things in your favor on any given night. Um, so I think they get to five. Um, I agree outside of that. I don't really see any Cinderella run coming out of anyone, you know, UNLV or San Jose State, anyone like that coming from way in the back of the pack. But I feel good about five and certainly more. If you gave me a market right now, who sends more to the dance, the Pac-12 or the Mountain West, I'll take the Mountain West. All day. I would jump All day. On that. Greg, yeah. what are you saying? I, I would jump on that market the moment that it was available. If yes, could. please. Please, uh, someone offer I, that market for us. So I think uh, I, I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian here. I think I'll go with four for the number that ends up getting there. That's the number they've gotten in the tournament the last two seasons. Now, where I'm going to be creative on this is I think it's going to – be an unconventional four. It's not the four you would expect, right? We said Utah State, San Diego State, New Mexico, Colorado State feel like the obvious four. I think one Air of those Force four, in? How are we getting Air Force in the dance? I, so I, not Air Force, but I, I think one we saw it with New Mexico last year, right? They were the last team to lose a game in the country, and then they end up just kind of just plummeting through conference play. They missed the tournament. I don't know who that's going to be, and it's going to hurt my heart if it's Colorado State because I love watching that team play. But they're in a dicey little spot right now situation-wise, one and two. Nico Medved has not exactly been the greatest results guy in his conference play history. So I don't know. I think there's going to be a surprise. If I had to put my finger on it, it would be either New Mexico or Colorado State who ends up disappointing and missing it. And then give me Boise State as the fourth team that will find a way. I just love watching Tegenhart right now. I think he's that good. Yeah, I, I will say the, the Colorado State, depending on what Creighton does the rest of the year, mm-hmm. they dismantled Creighton on a neutral court, which, you know, like if it's if they're close, that win in particular could hold a lot of weight. Uh, but I can't wait for the Mountain West Conference Tournament and 
Uh, I, I'll say, yeah, I'm going to go four. Uh, I'm very confident we'll be four. I could see five. I'd probably set the line at four and a half. But there's going to be some cannibalization probably too. You might have – there's going to be some potential injuries. Uh, but you definitely can make the case for six teams getting there, and I would listen to all of them. But that'll do it for us. Thanks to Greg and Mike for joining me as always. Thanks to our producer, David, on the back end. Most importantly, thanks to all of you for tuning in. We will be back with the three-man weave on Wednesday. And then Calabrese, myself, and Mike Randall will be back later in the week for the weekend betting preview. So we will see you later this week. Good luck on all of your wagers, and we'll catch you all soon. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.